Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The power of a biblical whatever. Learning to think and live in light of what is true. To be a person who thinks about whatever is honorable, it's the kind of attitude that doesn't get rattled easily. Justice is core to what God's going to label a healthy attitude. Whatever is pure. This concept of without defect in light of our conduct and then our relationality. Whatever is lovely, whatever is toward pleasurable love. There are legitimate places to find pleasurable love like family, friends, wisdom, knowledge, even church, even to the point of finding our sufficiency, our satisfaction, and our pleasure in Him. So uh, John Grisham is a uh, famous novelist that many of you uh, are aware of, maybe even read. A a funny story he tells in an interview that I read a few years back where he learned the power of a reputation when it comes to trying to get into the writing world. Uh, Grisham, when he first started out, wrote a novel called A Time to Kill, and he submitted it to to over 25 big house publishers, and every one of them rejected it, every one of them. Just said, ah, the novel stinks, it's not worthy to be published. And so he kept trying, and after a while, wrote a second novel called The Firm, and he submitted that, and the first ten or so people rejected that. And eventually somebody picked up the novel and, and published it. It became a huge hit. They made a movie out of it. And true story, they eventually said to him, hey, you got any other novels? And he said, it's funny that you ask, because I wrote another novel that you rejected called A Time to Kill, and they read it and said, this is great. And they published it and made it into a movie. I I mean, he learned the power of a reputation, that sometimes a reputation is an important thing to the point now where I'm telling you Grisham could write just about anything and they probably would publish it. Uh, A reputation, whether we like it or not, is more powerful than many of us give credit to. And so think about it. As we continue in our series of messages here on attitude at our church, I want to talk to you today about your reputation, and specifically how you consider and view your reputation and the role that it plays in your daily attitude. Because many of us don't think about our own reputation when we have our daily attitude going on, and yet you're going to see today that this is precisely what the Scriptures call us to. Because it's interesting that as Philippians 4 verse 8 develops the daily attitude of the Christ follower through telling us to think about eight things on a daily basis, that number six is stated this way. Finally, brothers, whatever is commendable, think about these things. Whatever is commendable. Or as the New American Standard Bible translates it, whatever is of good repute, dwell on these things. Or as the famous King James Bible says, whatsoever things are of good report, think about these things. It's a very interesting word uh, here in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in some 2,000 years ago that we translate here commendable. It's the Greek word euphemos that literally means good report or well spoken of. 
Its origin actually comes from a combination of two rather common Greek words. I'm going to write them up for you on the board here. Uh, They are the Greek words you, which means good. We're going to talk more about that word as we go along today. And then it's the Greek word phame that literally means report somebody talking about you. So obviously when you put this together to form the Greek word euphemos, which is the word here commendable translated in this attitude for us, it means a good report. That when others look at your life and they look at your behavior, they say good things about it. And that somehow this needs to make it to our attitude. We're supposed to think in light of this. We're supposed to have a daily attitude that considers and contemplates our own reputation, what others are saying about us, euphemos, a good report, because this becomes part of our overall attitude before Almighty God. Now, let's take this a little bit deeper, because basically what we're talking about here is that your reputation, and me speaking my reputation, needs to become a part of our daily attitude. That what others think of us, what others see in us, needs to become part of our attitude on a daily level. So so let's talk more specifically about what all that means. When you think about it, and even boil it down to its most simple parts, a reputation essentially has two components or building blocks to it. Uh, Look up here on your monitors. And that is that a reputation consists of your behavior and then others' assessment of your behavior. And I would submit to you that only when those two things converge do you have a reputation, a a euphemos, a report on your life. So what makes a reputation are the things that you say and do combined with others seeing that, assessing that, and even talking about that. And when they do, voila, (laughs) you got yourself a reputation. So an example would be going back to a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to you guys about justice and I said that that attitude means that we need to have in our daily thinking the attitude to right some wrongs around us, whatever is just. If I apply that and start to to, to right wrongs around me, then people might observe my life and say, wow, Jamie truly is a man who is willing to to roll his sleeves up and get involved in the downtrodden and do something about all the injustice around us. And if people start to say that about me, I develop what? A reputation. And hopefully, in this case, a good reputation. A reputation is all about your behavior and then others' assessments. And the reason that this is so important, guys, to understand these two building blocks that make up a reputation is that once you can get this, you can begin to understand then why you have good and bad reputations and even what we call fair and unfair reputations and all the combinations that go with it. Let me show you what I mean. If you look up at your monitor right now, this is a very important quadrant chart that I'm putting up here that bounces off this idea that a reputation is made up of your behavior and others' assessments. 
And you will notice on here the y-axis, the vertical axis there, is your behavior. And let's just assume that the lower part means bad behavior and the upper part means good behavior. And then on the x-axis, the horizontal one, you'll notice that that is other people's assessment of you with, let's say, the far left being an unfair assessment and then the far right there being a fair assessment. So, So you got the instructions about this quadrant. Now, here's what I think is going on in this passage before us. If you look at the upper right there in the quadrant there, when your behavior is good and when other people's assessment is fair, then you got good behavior and a fair assessment, and that is Philippians 4, verse 8. That's a euphemos. That's a good report that other people have. And as we're going to see in a minute, that's what we need to be focusing on and thinking on every day, to try to be upper right quadrant Christians (laughs) in our thinking and to do our best to have our behavior be notched up, others' assessment to be fair of us, so that our reputation for the cause of Christ will be very strong. Upper right quadrant. But it gets tricky because we can't always control whether other people's assessment is fair or not. So move to the left there. There are times, and tell me if this isn't true, where you and I have good behavior, but other people don't see it as good. Or or, or they don't agree with us that it is good. Or they don't agree with us that it's godly. And so their assessment is unfair. And let me ask you, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a situation in life where you've had good behavior and others just didn't seem to appreciate it or they didn't get it. Uh, The Bible actually talks about this. If you're looking for a proof text of this, uh, go to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 8. It's not on your notes, but you might want to write that down. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 8. Paul the Apostle is talking about his own life before the Corinthians. And he says, I'll begin at verse 7, he says, By truthful speech and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true. It's interesting. Those words there, slander and praise, are very, very interesting words to our subject before us today. Because that word praise there is a cognate of euphemos. It's the Greek word euphemia that literally means a good report. So he's saying that there are times where people give a good report on my life and my reputation is strong. But that word translated slander there, now watch this, it's kind of a a play on words in the Greek, is actually the Greek word douce-phemia. I'm just going to transliterate it into the English. The word phemia, we know, still means report, because we learn that up here with pheme, with phemos. But the word douce isn't this interesting, means hard or difficult. In other words, it's a tough report that somebody gave on Paul's life. That even though he was being good, even though his behavior, as we're going to see in a second when we define this, was very, very good and strong, the report was not because people were not fairly assessing his life. And you know what the Bible calls that? Slander. That when somebody slanders you, Essentially what that is, and I know it's a tough word, is that they are saying unfair things about you. And we all have it happen to us, almost weekly for me, because I'm in a large church, and there are times that people don't like what our church does. And you know who they come to when they don't like what our church does? Me. 
So I got an email again just this week of somebody who was very disappointed in, in what he did not get from our pastoral staff in a time of need. And as I assessed the situation, I thought, well, I believe we did the best we could. We're not perfect, but I think we have a great pastoral care system. And, 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 I, and I would argue that we did a good job even in that scenario, but he didn't agree with that. And even more, his email was rather vitriolic. And it was very tough. And he accused me of, uh, of being not a good pastor. And he said, he even said at one point in his email, Rick Warren would never allow this in his church. And I'm just going, wow, that's kind of a low blow on multiple levels, if you ask me. And I can take it. You guys don't have to come and hug me after the series or anything like that. But we all have these things happen to us, don't we? We all have times where our reputation gets a little bit stretched, not because our behavior is bad, but because other people's assessment is not very good. So we'll wrestle with that here in a minute because I have a solution on how to deal with that. Before we do that, let's finish this quadrant here. Uh, go to the bottom right. This one makes sense. When your behavior, when my behavior is bad and others have a fair assessment of that, then we got what? A bad reputation. And, and that's exactly what Philippians 4.8 is trying to mitigate against. We aren't lower right quadrant Christians. We are upper right quadrant Christians. And so we'll talk about that in a second here. And then I love the, the lower left, because hopefully this is none of you, but this is our world. And that's that you can actually have bad behavior, but people don't see it as bad. They have an unfair assessment of that. They actually call it good. And before you know it, you got Mick Jagger, because that's exactly the way that most people view guys like Mick Jagger, or as I always pick on Howard Stern, because they're about as decadent as you can get in our culture, and everybody thinks they're cool. That's lower left quadrant type of stuff going on there. So you can see how reputations start to develop, right? Uh, I mean, this chart explains why you can have good and bad reputations, even fair and unfair reputations, because it all boils down to these dual building blocks that make up a reputation, your behavior, and others' assessments. Now, why is this so important? i, I got to ask you the $10 question here, and that is that once you get this, which axis can you directly control when it comes to your reputation, your behavior, or how others assess you? Which do you have direct control over? Obviously, your behavior. It's the y-axis. As we've already established, one of the reasons that slander hurts so bad, a la 2 Corinthians 6.8, is that we can't control that sometimes. We can do as best as we know how and be misunderstood, and then people slander us, and that's painful, and we learn through that that we can't always control other people's assessment. But here's the good news, guys. We certainly can control the y-axis of our behavior, and I believe that this is precisely the point of Philippians 4, verse 8. Whatever is commendable, whatever is good, and that people just might commend you for, think about these things. Whatever is good, and that people just might alter their thinking about you and even your faith. Think about these things. That's what this passage is getting at. It's telling us to think reputation. Not in some codependent way where we're constantly trying to people please because we've already established we can't directly control others' assessments. But we do strive for a certain level and even kind, I'll talk about this in a minute here, a certain kind of goodness that can show an onlooking world that we aren't hypocrites, that God is real, 
and that we really are ones who know and follow him. That's what Philippians 4.8 is getting at. So once we get this, that part of our daily attitude is to consider our reputation with those around us, a reputation that hinges, as we have seen, on our behavior and then others' assessment, knowing that we can't directly control the latter, but we can control the former, the question becomes, what is the good then that we strive for in our thinking and behaving, now don't miss this, that stands the best chance of others assessing us rightly? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, Christians have all kinds of behavior and all kinds of things that we call good. Even certain inner things that we call good. We'll talk about that more in a second here. But the reality is is that we need to wrestle with exactly what kind of good does the Bible present before us, what core concerns of our behavior will stand the best chance of a good and fair assessment by others that will then result in a commendable reputation. And believe it or not, and I hope you're going to like this because I found this extremely fascinating, believe it or not, when we trace the occurrences of this little Greek word, EU, which is pronounced you, throughout the New Testament, there's only four occurrences of it outside of the combination word here in Philippians 4.8, when we trace the occurrences of this word, which is translated good, It actually reveals to us the kind of good that stands the best chance of building a great reputation. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to take you on this journey right now. A journey that we might call a journey of you, but not you. E-U, you meaning good. Don't you love my plan words? And as we do this, you're going to notice that this word that only appears four times outside of Philippians 4.8 that's translated good, reveals to us four kinds of behavior, and I'm going to call these the building blocks of a good reputation. Four things that you and I can be about when we think reputation that stand the best chance of us being upper right quadrant type of Christians. And I'll give them to you up front for those of you who like to take notes. And here they are, faithfulness, kindness, righteousness, and honor. Let me repeat that, faithfulness kindness, righteousness, and honor. You know, i got to speak very candidly to this, guys. You would think that the way most Christians function and talk today, that the things that they believe would give them a commendable reputation would be things like rigid morality, spot-on doctrine, and particular right-wing politics. Because that's about what we talk about with the world around us. And don't get me wrong, I'm into morality. I'm into spot-on doctrine. I'm a theologian, and I happen to be a fan of more right-sided politics in my life. But you know what? The Bible has a different list than those things when it tells us what is good in building our reputation with outsiders. Isn't that interesting? When we follow the occurrences of good, you, throughout the New Testament here, the same good that, that gives us a good report, a euphemos, with those around us, it's not going to be the things that we usually tout to an onlooking world. It's going to be things like faithfulness, kindness, righteousness, and honor. So let's park very briefly in front of each of these. First, notice faithfulness. In that famous parable of Jesus is when he's talking about the various spiritual gifts and talents 
that we each have been given in varying measure in life. You remember this parable where there's some one-talent people, and then there's two-talent people, and then there's five-talent people, and that the key is not how much or many talents you've been, giving, been given, but what you do with the talents or blessings that you've been given. That's the key. Look at what it says in verses 21 and 23 as Jesus tells a story in light of the five and two-talent people who were faithful in maximizing their God-given blessings. It says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. That little phrase, well done, is that Greek word you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then in response to the guy who also had a a few talents, in verse 23, he says the same thing. His master said to him, well done. A repetition here, guys. See the repetition. Well done, you, the, the Greek word for good, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So here's what I need you to see. Faithfulness before God is equated here with good, well done, The kind of good that if we're reading this right takes us back to Philippians 4.8 because it's the same word that builds a good reputation, a euphemos, a good report on our lives. And so we'll go without saying that when you and I demonstrate faithfulness, we're not just going to get a well done from God, but don't miss this. We're going to get a good reputation with those around us. Amen? Let's take another run at that. We're going to get a good reputation with those around us. Amen? See, some of you need to see this today. I I mean, honestly, let me ask you, and think about maybe the the toughest nut in your world right now, like the the biggest skeptic, the person who thinks that despite all your goodness that it's just a bunch of smoke. Think about that person and tell me, who doesn't long to see faithfulness and consistency in Christians around them? I, I mean, who doesn't long to see that? In a world in which marriages end in divorce many times due to unfaithfulness, most people, I'm telling you, are touched and moved when they see you stored your marriage for 20, 30, 40, 50, even 60 years. I'm telling you, faithfulness builds a good reputation. Or how about in a world in which people are knocked off center all the time in their belief and trust in God when things go south? And I'm helping people all the time pick up the pieces of their faith that's shattered when life gets difficult for them. But I'm telling you, they are inspired and moved and even confounded (laughs) when they see you remain faithful to God in the midst of difficult times and even a lot of confusion. Why? Because faithfulness is an admirable quality. Or how about this one? In a world in which it's really hard to find a friend who will be faithful with you through anything and everything. I mean, we got a lot of fair-weather friends, but I'm talking about a friend who will stick with you through anything, no matter what. Imagine what would happen if they found that in you. That kind of faithfulness is the kind of faithfulness that I'm telling you builds a good reputation, truly the first building block of a biblical euphemos, a good report, is faithfulness. So let's think reputation. By thinking faithful. As you're chewing on that, notice with me a second building block that the scripture gives us as we trace the use of this word you, good, throughout the New Testament, and that is kindness. 
kindness. In Mark chapter 14, verse 7, Jesus is in the middle of a scenario that many of you are familiar with. It's that famous scene where the crowd is angry at Jesus for pouring that expensive bottle of perfume. Or I'm sorry, the crowd is mad at Jesus for allowing the woman to pour an expensive bottle of perfume all over him. And they argue that though she's doing that to honor him, it was a very expensive bottle and it could be used to give money to the poor. You guys might remember that scene. And as Jesus responds to them, look at what he says in verse 7. He says, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good, E-U, good for them. Interesting statement. The disadvantaged and the poor we're always going to have with us in this fallen world. That's pretty obvious. It's part and parcel of a fallen world. But Jesus is saying that whenever we want to, whenever we want to, most of us have the resources and ability to do good for them. Again, the same Greek word good that's used in our word here in Philippians 4.8. So kindness in the form of doing good, especially to those in need, the disenfranchised and the disadvantaged, is clearly linked here to the kind of good that will create a Philippians 4 verse 8 kind of reputation. And again, guys, when you think about it, this only makes sense. I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm always marveled when the news picks on Christians. And, and, and when they do, in fact, this happened this week, I think, with our president and some of the comments he made. Um, and I'm not going to pick on President Obama, even though I kind of just did, but let's get beyond this. Um, there are times when people uh, pick on Christians, and have you ever noticed that they always go to the dark spots of our 2,000-year history? So they go to the Crusades and other places like that, and, and quite frankly, it's hard to argue out of some of those things because Christianity, like your very life, does have some dark spots. And I don't know about you, but whenever somebody brings up the dark spots, I kind of own them because I think humility is an admirable trait. But then I quickly point out that for all of Christianity's maybe few dark spots, we also have some really bright spots. And I'm not just talking about bright spots like the gospel, which can save you from hell, though I'd call that a pretty bright spot. But, but we also have bright spots that even if you're not convinced as a Christian, you have to admit are pretty admirable like this one. For the last 2,000 years, it is inarguable that Christians have been the ones to lead the way when it comes to ministering to the poor and downtrodden. In every single culture that we can point to, whether it was the early church, the Middle Ages, the Enlightenment, the Renaissance before that, the Industrial Revolution, the Technological Revolution, now the Digital Revolution, in any type of culture that Christianity has hit, they have always prioritized kindness and justice and being there for people in need. So Henry Ford once says, you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do, <laughs> only on what you have done. And so think about it, from medical missionaries to inner city soup kitchens to rescue missions to relief efforts like World Vision, Compassion International, and Samaritan's Purse, to orphanages in places like India, Mexico, Haiti, to shelters for people that have no homes, Christians have a track record of leading the way when it comes to caring for the poor and disenfranchised. And I believe that one of the reasons God has given us this great track record is because he knows that can build a good reputation. Amen? That even if people don't buy the doctrine that we believe in, even if they don't see our very cogent politics, even if they don't see things like that, they will see kindness. 
and people respond to kindness. And so I would just use this as an encouragement because I think our church is doing great here. As we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about justice, just keep on keeping on when it comes to kindness in your daily life. Helping those in need, showing the love of Jesus Christ around every corner. Because I'm telling you, that will build a reputation that is commendable. So we're faithful, we are kind, and then notice a third building block of a good reputation here, and that is righteousness. Now we got to be a little bit careful with this one, but, but let's talk about this, righteousness. In Acts chapter 15, verse 29, we find a third use of the Greek word you, good, and it occurs when the Jerusalem leaders are giving Paul and Barnabas, some of you might remember this scene, instructions for the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch had this huge Jewish-Gentile uh, controversy going on in which they were uh, wrestling with how much of the Old Testament law and Jewish mores and laws should the Gentiles now obey as followers of Jesus, as Christians. And so they brought this issue to the ch uh, church in Jerusalem, the, the leaders of kind of the general Christian church. And, and here's what they say in verses 28 and 29. They say, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you, the church in Antioch, no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, now here it is, guys, you will do well, that's the Greek word you, out of Philippians 4, 8, you will do well, and then they say farewell. Now, the context of this whole passage here is really for another sermon of exactly why they said these things here, but just suffice it to say that it's obviously contextual to the church in Antioch, to the specific Jewish-Gentile controversy, and, and, and to certain things at that time as the Christian church was burgeoning and coming together in unity that the wisdom of the Jerusalem elders said, here's what we think you need to do. But, but the point still stands, and this is what I don't want you to miss, is that there's a link here between a certain level of righteousness in our lives, a certain level of obedience to God's law and his truth and doing well goodness that creates a commendable reputation. Simply put, let's not miss this, guys, following God and obeying him, though at times might grate on a decadent and fallen world around us, they don't like to see that in us, it still has the incredible potential to have others look at you and at the very least say, well, they sure do walk the walk and live out what they claim to believe. I mean, I know we don't want to come across as more holier than thou because that's an attitude that people don't respond to. But think about the opposite. If you and I do not have a level of righteousness and obedience and morality, character, and integrity. As followers of Jesus, then what are they going to call us? Say it with me. Hypocrites. Let's say it again. Hypocrites. And though I got a great answer for you when somebody says, I don't want to come to your church, it's full of hypocrites, I always say, no, it's not full. We got room for one more. I mean, I, I do <laughs> tell people that on a regular basis. The reality is that's not a great answer. It's a funny answer, and it usually works with that person. Like, they'll say, okay, I get your point. But the reality is, is that there's a tension here. Can you feel it? We're not perfect. No one's expecting that. But if we are going to be followers of Jesus who claim to know him and have the Holy Spirit inside of us, 
then we got to have a certain level of righteousness to our lives. Amen? And we're all at different spots, but it's that righteousness contextualized to your life as you follow and obey God's Word that becomes part of your reputation. And it takes a lifetime to build up, and you need to protect it very great, very strongly because you can lose it very quickly, and some of you have realized that. And so righteousness really does matter. So you got faithfulness, you got kindness, you got righteousness, and I love this last one. It takes a little bit of explaining, but let's do it. We've got just a few minutes left before we go to our Elders Fund offering where I'm going to give you a chance to apply kindness at our Elders Fund offering. <laughs> like how I slipped that in there. And, and it's honor. Look at what Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3 say. Again, following, tracing this, this Greek word for good, you, it says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well that's that Greek word for good there, may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You know, every time I mention Ephesians 6, invariably somebody comes up to me, and you won't after what I'm about to say, but invariably somebody comes up to me after the sermon and says, I don't need to honor my mother and father because they were idiots. They were abusive, they were this, they were never there for me, yada, yada, yada. And what's the answer to that? Do we need to honor our parents whether they were idiots or not, yes or no? Yes. And the problem is, is that sometimes we don't understand what it means to honor somebody, right? The Greek word for honor here literally means, now don't miss this, to show respect, to value, to revere. It doesn't mean that you have to always agree with someone, even your parents, but you do have to show respect even in the midst of disagreeing with somebody. That's what the word means. So to honor someone has more to do with how you say something than even what you say. I can honor somebody by speaking truth to them. But as the scriptures say, I better speak truth in love and with gentleness and respect. And all I can say is that when you and I get this and apply it to our behavior, who doesn't admire this when they see it in another person, right? I mean, people love to see honor. They love to see you be non-ruffled and to be Christ-like in the midst of having a disagreement even with somebody like your parents or anybody else in your life. Because by the way, the Bible doesn't just say honor your parents. You're supposed to honor lots of kinds of people in your life, like your pastor. I can show you that verse. (laughs) And your spouse and your boss at work. I mean, the reality is, is that we're to show honor all over the place. Why? Could it be that God knows that's how we build a good reputation? That by honoring people around us, we do nothing but move our lives into the upper right quadrant, going back to that, of a good reputation built upon a fair assessment, or a good behavior built upon a fair assessment. You see, these things really work. That's the note I need to leave you guys on. That when you and I think reputation... And we do so by filtering it through thinking faithfulness and and, and then thinking kindness and and then thinking honor and and then thinking, what was the one right before? Righteousness. Yeah, better not forget that one. As we do that and we think those things, it will do nothing but give us the kind of reputation that God is after. And our attitude needs to be focused on this. So let me wrap it up with this. Let's wrap it up with the witty words of Will Rogers. I love this quote. He said, live so that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. (laughs) Isn't that a great quote? 
because many of us would be terrified to sell the family parrot to the town gossip because we just don't want others to know. But the reality is, is that if you're living a life that's about faithfulness and kindness and righteousness and honor, even in the midst of your imperfection, you could sell the parrot to the town gossip because your reputation would still be strong. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I, as you know, Lord, of having so much amazing times in, in your word uh, in this series as I plumb the depths of these words and just journey with them through the New Testament and to see discovery after discovery of what you really have for us in the depths of your word. And I pray, God, that as we uh, apply these things to our lives, as we go out of here thinking reputation, the intersection of our behavior with others' assessment, and then, Lord, we apply the key traits of faithfulness and kindness and righteousness and honor to these things. God, I pray that you would help our stock value in this culture around us to go up and that, Lord, that would be nothing more than your glory, nothing more than your righteousness and the propelling of your church even deeper and further into this very lost culture. And so, God, we pray toward that end. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. And I'll say it again.